Welcome into the Yarn Barn. We are here this week with Chris Cassidy Schroeder. And in this episode, we have a very, very uh, intimate top uh, conversation inside my house. The very first podcast episode that has been done live inside my house on my couch while I was on the rocking chair and Chris was on the couch. Uh, so it was very intimate, very cool to have someone inside the house to be able to share this, uh, this story uh, of Chris's story. And I'm, I'm really honored to be able to bring this to you guys today. He shares his journey today as a stay-at-home dad, living in Karapa, where I am, my home ground too. Chris is a military veteran and he's faced a bunch of challenges along the way, but he's also found a, a number of ways to overcome them. And Chris, he believes that this uh, is an important topic for us to talk about, that taking care of both your physical and mental health is, is critical. And he shares some of his insights on how he does this. Uh, Chris is also a very active member of the Australian Dads Network online community on Facebook and has been recognised as the most engaged member of the group for a significant portion of his time inside of that community. And throughout this episode, we dive into a few topics such as personal growth, managing daily life as a military veteran, dad of, an, of three kids and, uh, and a husband to a full-time working mum and so much more. So sit back, relax, and I know that a lot of you guys have been waiting for this one. So enjoy this episode with Chris Cassidy Schroeder inside the yard bar. Welcome to the yarn barn. Cool. So, Chris, welcome to my house, firstly. Thanks. And uh, welcome to the first um, in-person yarn barn chat that I've done. So, thanks for being open to coming into the Casa del Sorrel and having a chat. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, so, the way um, we sort of just touched on a little bit um, before we started recording is I don't have any... Uh, any sort of prepared questions or anything, and this is how I sort of roll. Some people don't like it and some people do. You're okay with it. Um, and so the first way, I suppose, for the the few people who are in our network in the Yarn Barn that don't know who you are, maybe give a bit of an intro to yourself, but more so for the people who are listening who aren't inside the, the Yarn Barn, um, just maybe give us the your little intro to who you are sure no worries so um like liam said my name's chris i'm a father of three which i guess is probably my main you know my main role i'm a stay-at-home dad to two young boys with special needs and i have a third son to a previous marriage who lives uh down south with his mother I'm a disabled veteran who suffers from PTSD, anxiety and depression. However, I'm trying more and more every day to not let that define who I am as a person. I have many hobbies. Some people call me a professional YouTubeologist because I have lots of time to sit around and watch YouTube with you know my back injuries and, and other illnesses. And I have a unique ability to watch something learn that skill from watching and then reapply that skill. For example, I taught myself to weld, blacksmith, make knives, which I've sold internationally, woodwork, made a heap of furniture for my old house down south, and most recently, uh, laser cutting, 3D printing, and now uh, combining those together for my uh, miniature hobbies. So that's me. Awesome. Uh, when when you first came to Carafa, you uh, well we met at the beach. At yeah, that's right, Cleaverville, I think. Yep. Um, and and yeah, since then, for anyone like who's like I mentioned who isn't in the yarn barn, has has definitely seen that level of growth which you talked about that you're working on all the time. Um, what's what? What are some other things that have really sort of worked for you? Because and I, I, I want to sort of touch on a few other elements that sort of surround that. But as far as those 
those key things that you find as being really helpful for you um, or those significant moments that you've you've noticed have been helpful over the last few years that's uh that's quite a complex answer there's a lot going on in that i guess it all stems from wanting to be better husband wanting to be a better father to my kids and not letting my illnesses define who i am whereas you know quite a while ago i used to introduce myself as hi i'm chris i'm a veteran with pdsd anxiety and depression and i would always let that be the first thing i'd mention to people which is a little bit unfair really it's a bit unfair to myself and it's a bit unfair to offload that onto other people right in the get-go do you know why you did that it's a kind of an excuse or a reason or presenting up front as to why i am the way i am and why i'm not working or why i'm not you know otherwise engaged in the community excuse me needed it moisten the lips (laughs) so there's been a big shift in sort of the last 18 months um and that came by with, with the unfortunate passing of my mother to pancreatic cancer and it was at that time that i reached out to the well known michael duff and did his mind sense program around learning to be enough and so once you learn to be enough you don't have to define yourself by other metrics. So that allowed me to focus on being a parent and being enough in that role as a parent, not needing to justify to all the Woodside and Rio husbands and workers that, you know, oh, I'm not working because I have a disability and so on and so forth. It's, you know, this is me, this is who I am, this is what I do. And, yeah, leave it at that. And you see, uh, you see that being enough has been something that you've been unable to see for a long period of time. Um. Yeah, totally. And there are still moments where I don't feel enough. It's, it's not like I'm walking around, you know, bright, shining stars, unicorns, rainbows every day. I think as a man, I'm, I'm flawed. I think we're all flawed. And so... You know, an example was last week, my kids ran off on me when I was at the shops and I had no, I had literally no idea where they went. Normally they go to the claw machine around the corner or sit on the bench outside the self-checkout, but they, they totally nicked off. And the rage inside me got so much that when I found them, I smacked both their bums right there in the public and this older Aboriginal lady got right into me about it and it shocked me in the moment. And, I, and then, you know, I apologised to my boys afterwards, but... You know, it's a long process of learning to be enough and, and taking control of your anger and your rage and all these other emotional symptoms that accompany some of the conditions I have. Yeah, we're constantly working no matter how, you know, I don't think there's anyone that isn't working on themselves to some degree because it's always just, you know, it's like that everything that is good for us is called some form of exercise or practice, right? Like breathing practice or breathing exercises or mindfulness practices. And, you know, because we've always constantly got to keep learning and otherwise we just, we lose it or we don't get a chance to, um, to try new things and grow. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's, I think anyone that tries to develop themselves and better themselves you know, incrementally, even if it's two steps forward, one step back, uh, you know, are doing way more for themselves and society and their families than those that just accept or sort of a, approach a victim mentality and it's all too hard and woe is me and all of these other points, which, you know, I think we're all guilty of at some point and maybe we use that as an excuse to reach out and, and get help. Maybe that's the catalyst to getting help is the woe is me and life's too hard and then people see that from externally and, and lend a hand out. It's when you take that hand is when you start to grow. Mm. That's a really good good analogy for it. Cause it and, it. and oftentimes I think we don't see the hand for it being help as well. You know, and I think men in particular 
we again it goes that back to that weakness thing you know like oh, no, I'm, I'm good don't need your hand thanks and we, we there's only so many times we can push that aside yeah it, it's quite funny you know um touching on my background as a soldier you know you're 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 taught and ingrained in you that you are the best in society not just the best in the army but you're the best in society and that you're better than everyone else and that mentality helps keep you alive however when you leave that support network that is the military you are no longer a military person but you're no longer truly a civilian either and so you're trying to get through with that attitude and that can come off quite cocky and arrogant and so earlier in 2021 yeah 2021 Mike tried to help me earlier in 2021 and I sort of watched the first three parts of his program and, you know, kind of went, no, not for me. I'll, I'll get on all right by myself, which is the whole slapping the hand away piece. But it wasn't until I was rock bottom and lost my mum that I realised that I do need to reach out for that hand. And I think trying to be aware of whose hands are reaching out for you can help mm. when you're in a really dark, dark area, dark time is that, believe it or not, someone is reaching out. And I think we need to, as men, recognise that. There's always some, there's always some form of help there. Just yeah, 100%. Keep, keep an eye out for it. Can you take us back to some of those moments um, back in the military that were, that were really important to this now? Narrow your question. So were there, and I don't think I've, I've asked this in the, the years that we've known each other, I don't think, you know, because I think f- I may be the only one, but I have heard of, um, you know, I've spoken to other people who have served in the military who have said, um, you know, stories only get shared amongst other military veterans because people who aren't in the military won't get it. And, um, and so, you know, I've always been, when I speak to people who have served in the military, I've always been a bit cautious about asking. And I don't, I don't, you know, I would say that those things would come up in conversation if they were comfortable or I, they felt like I was ready and available to have those conversations. So I've never forced any of those conversations and asked sure. what is going on, what happened. But I suppose just to, because I feel like I've seen and been a part of a lot of the, um, the work that you've been through, um, and seeing that that growth is, you know, I feel like it's come from some form of deployment that you've done, or some form of experience in the military. Um, yeah, sure. That is, you know, so is I'm not asking for like, you know, that one thing because maybe there's multiple. But you know, is there? Can you give us an idea for someone who hasn't served in the military what what that could look like for you, or what that looks so, like? So arrogantly or not. I was really good at my job, like really good at my job, which made me a little bit hated at my job because, you know, every course that I attended, I always came out student of merit, top, top, top dog on the course, which fluffs up and bumps up your ego a little bit. And it's, and it's a big ego piece being in the military. I guess, you know, doing all the courses and doing all the learning and everything is getting yourself ready for potentially deploying overseas. And I had the opportunity, it actually completely happened by accident, that in 2006, when the Solomon Islands blew up again, they needed a force to quickly deploy. And we were training to go to Hawaii. So we went from, you know, we're only three weeks out from going to Hawaii and that flipped around from going out on a piss trip in Hawaii for a month to going overseas and so at the time I was only 20 so I was quite young however I'd had three years in the army by this stage and or three and a half years in the army by this stage and done several courses and um, one of the big things I did was my combat first aiders combat medics course and that's how I got the Guernsey to go overseas as a combat first aider combat medic that's a tough gig the reason that's a tough gig and, and the reason I felt so isolated even when I was overseas with my fellow soldiers was that there was only three of us with that qualification that got sent and there's one per platoon uh, of 30 blokes 
And that job was hard. Um, there was a lot of things that happened in 2006 in the Solomon Islands that were less than ideal. Um, there was some rioting. Um, there was some, you know, standard sort of things a police, policeman or fiery might respond to, like car accidents or, or domestic violence and stuff like that, which we then had to respond to in addition to some of the local Solomon Islands police because they were just being retrained in their role. And there was a lot of eye-opening things. I was actually just talking to a guy last night about taking things for granted and, and, and the privilege we have. I unfortunately got injured overseas and uh, screwed my back quite bad, so I was put in charge of um, the support section. And one of our jobs was to do the tip run from the Ford operating base to the tip and back. And there were these things called tip kids. We just called them tip kids. And you never had to stop your car to unload it. They were jumping on a moving vehicle and grabbing everything they could off the back of the vehicle. And one thing we did was we'd get our meals in um, what they call hot boxes, so just like Bay Marie kind of meals. And you can't reuse that food. So we, when I took charge of the support section, we'd triple bag that food so that when it was getting grabbed out of the trailer by the kids that needed it, that knew what it was and, and where the food was coming from, it wouldn't rip and go all over the ground and stuff. Mm. And so, you know, we were making sure that we fed these tip kids, essentially. But it's just, I don't think that imagery ever leaves you. You know, seeing kids that we have in our houses, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-olds that just don't have anything. They're wearing a pair of jocks or a pair of ratty shorts and they're, you know, fighting each other for the, the food out of the back of a trailer. Like, that's just an example of some of the stuff that, you know, you're not prepared for and, and how it massively changes you as a, as a... Well, I was 20, I turned 21 on deployment. But, yeah, that's, that's a very vivid memory of mine. And that, that has sort of shaped some of the concepts around just society in general as yep. far as when you came back you started to notice that yeah you do things and, are different here and things are different and, and you take things for granted and you know when we first got to theater we were told make sure you confiscate machetes and and other weapons and stuff like that and my very first patrol there was a kid and his machete was nearly taller than him and it was bent and he was whipping the lawns and that's how they cut their grass and that was his livelihood, cutting people's grass with this big-ass machete. And we learned very quickly that, you know, the quote-unquote propaganda and, and stuff that we, that we had to do was, was rapidly different from the reality of things. And then you come back to Australia and you see, I don't know, just people taking things for granted or whinging and complaining and all these other sort of aspects of life that we take for granted and it's... It changes you. It changes your perspective, I guess. Hmm. When you came back uh, after that perspective has been shifted, what was what was the emotion to people as you you know you're walking down the street and and you're seeing that people taking things for granted and dropping food in the thing? Yeah. Well, like what is the what is your thoughts running through then? Yeah, good question. I guess after being home for six, eight, twelve weeks, the you start to f fit back into the old routines of things. However, you know when you first get back, it's that culture shock of being back, and everyone you look at's a white fella, and you know people cutting each other off in traffic, or you know throwing the half the hamburger away, and there's just there's nothing you can do about it. So you've got to try and not let it get to you too much. Um, but there's definitely a big culture shock when you come back, and that's, that's the piece that screws with a lot of people's minds because, you know, you wish you could change things and do things better, but you're no longer in a place to support them. Yeah. Hmm. I think I could imagine that, you know, that is hard to... You know, when in a position like you said, you know, in this position where you're, you know, essentially like in a leadership position in the military, you know, you're you're trained to be 
uh, or you're taught to be, you know, an elite at everything that, you know, and better than general society. And I bet there's this, uh, I assume that there's some kind of um, coming back from that, walking around and seeing all that stuff happen. And um, there's a want to, to go, you don't even, you know, you're throwing this stuff away. You don't even know what I've just seen. But also, you know, I think for for us who haven't experienced that or had that worldly, well, I've had a sort of worldly experience traveling around yep. and experienced, you know, third world uh, countries and things. And so I, I can get that portion of, um, you know, what privilege we have. But a lot of people don't. And a lot of people just expect that this is, this is how everything is and and it's hard to shift that mentality um in a confrontation yeah. type way isn't it I, I think that's actually what causes a lot of uh the mental injury the psychological injury um and the moral injury is that you see these things that you can't change but you want to change and it leaves you with that dichotomy of like, do I say something about it or do I just ignore it and let it go? And then that builds and builds and builds. And then eventually one day you're no longer a soldier. But you've got all this soldier training and you've got all this mentality about being the best and being better than others. And all of a sudden you're just the same as everybody else. But you've got this training. And it takes a lot of work to try and fit back in and i think back to the start of this segment where you where you asked about soldiers speaking to soldiers and that's when they get together and, sh- and share their stories or what we call worries we share our worries is that you can't share them with civilians because it'll shock them you know and you can't and you're no longer in the army so you're not having that support around you know, sharing your worries around the boozer and, and stuff like that, or just acknowledging that someone else has been through that with you. So, you know, I could tell some stories here which would absolutely shock the listeners, but, you know, that's not the intent of it. I think that moral injury is a big piece. Mm. How do you... How do you use your military training, that soldier training, after being, after leaving the military? Like, is that still an active part of your your life today? Yeah, in the um, you get a very specific set of skills in the military. That reminds me of that Liam Neeson movie. I've got a very particular set of skills. <laughs> You have a skill set and it depends how long you're in and depends what level you got to. You know, the leadership, the um, the ability to control teams, manage teams, camaraderie, building a spread of core within your team. You sort of carry that around, that professionalism, that never being late that, you know, dress and bearing, I say that, well, I've got a massive head mop and a big beard going on, but, you know, generally speaking, the way you dress and carry yourself, you never you never lose any of that. You never lose any of that. I guess the longer you're out, the more you sort of mellow out a little bit, but I certainly know in the first few years of being out and getting jobs and, and working with other people, you you kind of just float to the top. I guess. Hmm. What is, what was the, when you become a parent, what was that first experience like? So, it's a bit odd for me because uh, my 13 year old I had while I was still serving and so I still had to leave home regularly and go away for months at a time and, you know, my wife at the time wasn't um, coping very well. So she uh, came back over here to WA while serving in New South Wales and didn't return. So uh, my son was only eight months old at the time. Uh, 
and so I didn't really understand about raising little kids and 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 parenting and fathering and stuff. So it wasn't until my new wife and I, my new wife, we've been together ten years. My wife and I started having you know our two, my two youngest kids that the really engaging in that parenting and you know i was diagnosed with ptsd in 2015 but i had a complete mental breakdown in 2017 when my eldest was just four months old and from that date onwards i haven't worked i've been a stay-at-home parent on a disability pension so i've been there every day for most of my two young boys lives doing the heartache changing the nappies keeping them awake at night because they're having breathing difficulties you know um, all the way through to their diagnoses of ASD and ADHD and global developmental delay and, and dealing with all of those challenges. I've been the stay-at-home dad and I've been the one that's been there for them all. I mean, just now, you know, today I've, I've had one appointment already today, but my days are filled with NDIS appointments and chasing up occupational therapists and speeches and dietitians and positive behavioural specialists and my calendar is full. And that military training is is coming into play with scheduling and scheduling and, and routines, managing and, fatigue, yeah, late yeah. yeah. nights and staying staying on top of everything. Yeah, like if it wasn't for my calendar, my diary, and the phone, I would be completely lost. Mm. I'd be completely lost. So, but it's a shared calendar uh, that my wife and I share. And when she asks me to do something, I just tell her to check the calendar first. And she's like, oh, "Okay, maybe I'll do it." <laughs> She realises how busy you are. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And so living in a regional area with the, um, with the well, here in Karatha, which this is, you know where this is probably going to go, the, the lack of resources and also the majority sort of demographic is, um, well, for us here, I think it's anywhere from, uh, for parents anyway, is sort of that 30 to 45 year olds that are you know younger families uh there's still a majority male dominated workforce so when you guys came here big struggle with being the stay-at-home dad yeah huge like massive so we moved here three days after the regional shutdowns or the regional lockdowns in 2020 due to covid and so we were in the house three days i think we rocked up on a friday and my wife started work on a monday and i at that stage had an 18 month old and a um, three-year-old and we weren't allowed to leave the house to go to the park in a brand new town so it was struggle city like legitimately struggle city so there's a few pieces to answer this question the male dominated workforce means a female dominated at home life which then is the polar opposite of me where I'm a stay at home dad needing that friendship and that connection and that support and so I created a mum's group put it out there you know Karatha runs on Facebook it's a very Facebook orientated town if you want to buy or sell um, catch up meet up it's all on Facebook. So I didn't have a Facebook before moving here. So I started a Facebook and that was to fit in within the town. I started a mum's group with 18 and three month old. So 18 year, oh, let me get this right, 18 month old to three year olds. And that group, you know, it started off quite big. It whittled down to a core group that we'd all catch up for coffees because you're allowed outdoor catch ups for coffees and stuff like that. And that was my support network. However, that sort of, waned off a little bit you know when the restrictions eased because you know men are jealous and if there's a male being able to spend more time with their wife than they get to spend with their wife it's it it creates a little bit of conflict so as much as possible i tried to get their partners over to our catch-ups and that as well however the group eventually shrunk and just dissipated which then led me to try and make a new group and so I've, I've been through that cycle a couple of times. However, now that all of our kids are at school, they've all returned back to work as mums. Mm. So there I am left 
with very little friendship circle due to everybody essentially working. Uh, up here in Karatha, you know, the cost of living is so extraordinarily high that mostly everyone needs to work, both husband and wife. And so that leaves a stay-at-home dad somewhat alone, particularly when the Woodside and the Rio and the Yarra and all the other big mining you know, groups have their one-on-one-off or their four-on-four-off or whatever it is. On their off days, they still hang out with their mining buddies and they've still got their little groups, their little cliques, if you will, that they go out fishing and camping and full driving and everything together. That It leaves very little room for that Mr. Mum. Mm. Or that effeminate role, that male in the effeminate role where, you know, he's not earning the six-figure job and, and so on and so forth. So it's, it is, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. And, I mean, the second part of that was about regional services. And, you know, that might be part of the reason behind my wife and I's current decision to potentially move on from Karatha is that to, having two kids with special needs is no joke. And... Trying to get the support services. There's no, there's no child psychologist in town. There's no, you know, the wait lists for occupational therapy or positive behavioural specialists or dietitians and all these other things that my boys need access to is six or twelve months. So, yeah, it, it's just, it's just no joke. It's very. I'd like to use the word lonely. It's very lonely for someone in my position in Karatha. Do you, are you comfortable being alone from time to time? Yeah, it's really odd because I'm an introverted extrovert. <laughs> I, What's it called? Uh, um, ambivert? Ambivert, is yeah, it? Okay. I think so. Someone who's on occasions happy to, to do both. But, like, uh, you know, too much time alone is... is it starts to become draining and, and you need yep. some of that external um, support. Go out to a concert or go for a, yeah, a that, meal or that something. Yeah, that kind of explains it. I need, to, I need to have, you know, time in my house where there's nobody there and then I'd like to entertain a lot. Mm. But, you know, I'm not agoraphobic by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm, I've gotten very comfortable in my little fortress, mm. my little fortress that is home. I mean, that's where the kids are, that's where the pool is, that's where my hobbies are. And I like to invite people over to entertain. Yeah, ambivert. That's a new one. Ambivert. Yep. Um, yeah, because I think it's it, it's. Uh, I think, I mean, and, and we've spoken to, about Michael Duff here already, and, and everyone in the community knows who he is. Um, you know, so it's it's not necessarily focusing, I suppose, on one personality type or another or one style of of. Um, yeah, introvert or extrovert, because you know we can we can be a bit of both, but equally both of them can be draining. Like I find that too. You know, I'm I'm very much happy to sit. You know, like I'll I'll often if there's a good UFC um, fight on, I'll happily pay the the pay per view for it and sit here by myself and and watch it because I enjoy the art of that fighting and the entertainment. But also like that time to sort of fill my cup up by myself. But then, yeah, equally happy to go out and, um, you know, and I don't know, go to a concert with fifteen thousand people in the stadium from time to time. But like to do that every day starts to become a bit draining. Yeah, be a bit much. And same with doing sitting inside all day by myself becomes a bit draining. And I think that's, you know, so, you know, when um, you've mentioned hobbies a few times, you know, so when when do you decide that that's a, a or when do you go to hobbies as a way to... Because I imagine you do on the hobbies more so... Although I've seen you do it with kids on your kids, you've introduced that into their... You know, the miniature paintings and stuff. Yeah. You've introduced that into their into their life, which is cool. But, you know, is that a, an outlet for you that you use when you start to feel like you're starting to feel lonely and you, you go to that place? Um, yeah, I do. Yeah. So one thing about doing miniature painting and uh you know nerdy stuff like dungeons and dragons and other things like that is that well not so much dungeons and dragons that's more of a cooperative kind of thing but miniature painting and and display painting miniature figures and playing war games and stuff is a very solo kind of sport or hobby or interest 
However, there are times like uh, just actually tomorrow I've, I've booked in a, a play date, if you will, with another bloke who's off swing and I'm going to go around his place and we're going to do a bunch of hobby painting and stuff. So it's still an individual thing, but you can do it alongside someone else mm. and, you know, share stories and, and shit stir each other about, oh, that looks crap, huh? should have painted it this way or, you know, however it is. Um, I do that when I feel the need, well, I guess when I'm bored, which is not a lot recently because my calendar is so full of, full of other things. But when I've got a day, which, which I try to do on Friday, I try and book nothing in on Friday, no appointments for the kids, no appointments for me, no anything on a Friday. That's my one day where both the kids are at school that I can, if I choose, allocate to sitting on the couch watching a movie or doing my miniature hobby or going and catching up with mates. That's the one day of the week which I is sacred to me and is untouched. Mm. It's important to have have something like that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, even if I choose to do nothing with that day, that's my choice because it's 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 a blocked out, allocated day. My wife knows that on that day, I'm not going to ask him to go do shopping or, or you know I'm going to go do the shopping after this to make sure that I don't have to do anything tomorrow mm. if I choose not to. Mm. What do you say to other dads that are um, feeling stuck as a stay-at-home dad in a similar sort of scenario? I think more so than as a stay-at-home dad, but men, fathers in general that are stuck in a routine or, you know, stuck with one aspect of their life or another, is you've got to be brave. You have to be brave and what I mean by that is you have to break out of that comfort zone, break out of that shell a little bit and put yourself out there. As an introverted extrovert or now newly named ambivert. You're welcome. Um, there are times where I won't break out of my shell. However, I can walk into and fill a room if I choose to. I can either go unseen or I can fill a room. And I think that takes a bit of courage and so if you're stuck as a stay-at-home dad put it out there into the facebook universe hey looking for a group mums dads those undecided let's catch up let's do something don't be afraid the days of going to a pub and making friends or hooking up with sheilas or whatever it is they're, they're way behind us now it's 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 an internet world. It's a, it's a connected world. Get on those technology platforms and put yourself out there. That's my advice. Just get out there. Take the courage to step out inside Just and, get out and, there. and try something different. Meet yeah. some new people. 100%. I know all too well. All too well. I've, I'm in a unique position where I've been diagnosed as treatment-resistant depression and treatment-resistant PTSD, which means, you know... SSRIs and standard medications and, and all these kind of things that normally used to treat depression don't necessarily work with me. So it's up to me to find something that does work. And I can hobbit myself for weeks, but when I get to that stage that I need company, I just put myself out there. Hey, need to catch up with someone, need a coffee, want a coffee, something like that. Mm. Yeah, it's um I think that there's there is a a very similar sort of style to or challenge with people who are stay at home, apart from what you're explaining, but also uh those people who are going to work every day, that that same level of stuckness is is there. Hundred percent. Because, you know, you can go to work every day, you could wake up before the kids, like I was speaking to a guy just earlier who was, uh, is doing, he's waking up and heading to work before the kids are awake and he's coming home when the kids are in bed. Yeah, that would suck. And so that feeling of guilt, not being able to see the kids, not helping out at home, um, but then also feeling um, that, you know, that feeling of, of loneliness. Because yeah, 100% lonely. those people that are in that the most important, the reason why you're going to work yeah. is to see and, and thrive with the people that are in, in your house. Yeah. And you're not, 
you're not seeing them, it kind of feels a bit shit. Yeah. And so, and then I suppose similar to stay-at-home parents is that feeling of loneliness but more so for the people outside of the, the walls where you're not I think it's about a balance, not, right? Yeah. It's about the balance. And we talk about balance quite a lot, but no one really knows how to do it. Mm. And that's where big decisions need to be made in lifestyle and work choices about, you know, the working 12-hour days, going to work when the kids are in bed, coming home when the kids are in bed. There's not a bloody chance I could ever return to doing that. Mm. Not a chance in the world. Um, sorry to cut you off there, but yeah, there's just, you know, my wife's doing it at the moment. She is struggling in her particular role, not because she can't do the job, but because of uh, incompetent managers and leadership team, which was challenge her, challenging her values. And so she no longer wants to work where she works. And I see her dragging herself to work coming in the door at night exhausted from work and I mean she only works sort of eight to five but I can see she's trapped and I can see that she's alone in her situation and that hurts me that hurts me so for those dads that are working those hours and are feeling alone and trapped your other your significant other notices and they they genuinely care they just don't necessarily know how to help you. So have the courage to ask for help. Have the courage to let them know what you need to be supported. Mm. You've, mentioned, you've mentioned the word bravery and courage a number of times in this chat. Yeah. And I think another thing to, to mention which is is that is what you did for Anzac Day which oh, recently yeah. which yep. I think is is important to mention because when you've you know talk about the growth that you've you've gone through over the last number of years um but also about stepping out of comfort zones and how to take that step forward into that newer version of yourself um can you explain explain what that was like for you Yeah, sure. So just a little bit of background. Uh, 2015 diagnosed with PTSD and then all of the shame and guilt around that, the imposter syndrome of, well, I didn't go to quote unquote war, Um, unlike most of my colleagues and, and military friends. You know, I lost six people in Afghanistan that I knew, some I knew really quite well. Uh, and have lost more since to suicide, more, way more to suicide um, post-separation from the military than during wartime. That left me feeling a bit like an imposter. And it was actually your guest two or three weeks ago, James Greenshield, who I connected with, who sort of helped me in this space about the imposter syndrome because he's gone through it himself. And... You know, so since my diagnosis in 2015, I've not celebrated. Celebrated might be the wrong word for some, but for us, it's the right word. Us, I mean military personnel. I've not celebrated an an Anzac Day or gone to a service. And last year, I grabbed my medals and my beret out, and that's as far as I got. I got them to the I got them to the bed, and I took a photo of them. This year, I pinned them onto a suit and decided that. I would reach out to see if anyone was willing to take me. If they weren't, I was going to be completely fine with staying at home. However, you and and one other bloke both reached out and offered to take me to the service, which kind of <clears throat> the soldier part of my brain said, well, I don't want to let them down because they're going out of their way to take me, so I'll go, if not for myself, then at least for them. And so I made it to my first celebration. It was a small celebration, um, commemoration of Anzac Day, you know, all said and done in 45 minutes. But I did it. So, yeah, I was very proud of myself for doing that. Um, yeah, I don't really know much more to say on that. I just took the bravery and the courage to to get out the door and do that. And, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, and I think what's, what's important about that and, and, and you know, the other stuff that you've mentioned around courage and bravery around 
you know, stepping outside of your comfort zone and going and starting a group or, you know, meeting new people and and just doing that sort of stuff as a as a stay at home parent, as a you know, full time employee, doesn't matter. Uh, it's just about I think what I why I wanted to bring that up was because you know when we're talking about and this this episode or this podcast series is was designed for to talk about and to and learn about real dads because you know although we can continue to talk with you know high level executives about that three part process that they <laughs> use to sell something and yeah. whatever it is you know those conversations are good because we can all learn from those things and we can get some quick tips and tools but you know hearing real stories are really important and they get a lot more i think i believe they're a lot more impactful and so you know what you said and i don't know if 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 you sort of i'm assuming you're aware but you know that the things that you've mentioned are all you know leaning towards that get outside of your comfort zone try something you know have the courage to 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 get involved just get amongst life whatever it is and that's starting from from your military time you know just getting out there and just getting involved studying you know trying to be the best at what it is and and all the way through to now to you know filling up the calendar with with all the stuff that you you you've got to do as as a as a parent while still trying to explore who you are and how to improve your mental and emotional well-being and all those all those elements that are so important and i think you know for for guys that are listening to this and girls that are listening to this is is it, it you know it doesn't necessarily matter all the stuff that you've been through because that can't be changed now that's like, right it's in the past yeah it's it's there it's done now is is time to to lean forward into discomfort some of the time. Yeah, I mean, I've got a, push through. got a couple of pearls of wisdom that have been shared with me. And that is looking back only causes a sore neck. Mm. So what's in the past is in the past. Let it go. You've survived 100% of things that the world has thrown at you to the day, to this day. So the evidence shows that you'll survive everything that's going to be thrown at you in the future. Mm-hmm. And trying and failing is better than not trying at all. Mm. All true. Yeah, I try and live by them. Yeah. Um, another one that's, I think, important and very much in line with that is uh, Peter Crone says, um, you, and I'll just, I'll just fudge this completely, but it's, it's um, everything that has happened to you has happened to you for a reason. And and that's, that, I think, an important thing to remember as well. So yeah, 100%. All I, the good things, all the bad things, everything in between. And it, it has happened. It's there to serve you in some way or another. And sometimes that can be really hard to take, you know, like why should I have gone through that? Well, it didn't happen any other way, so it was supposed to. Yeah. I, bit of a sad story, but I believe everything happens for a reason. And it's hard to tell yourself that when you're suffering from trauma or from you know, a loss of a friend or something like that. But a guy that I knew from the 2nd Cavalry Regiment got blown up twice in the same deployment in Iraq, not a scratch on his body. Mm. Two days after coming home, he died in a motorbike accident. Oh. And so, you know, obviously, you know, when your time's up, your time's up and you don't know when that's going to be. So make the most of what you have now. Wow. Yep. That's um, that's yeah, pretty impactful way to almost close out this um, this conversation. I think, you know, that we don't know, you know, and I think the more we, the more we focus on, what is it? I heard the other day is that you know, there's, there's, if you go and speak to a hundred ninety-year-olds sitting on the bed or on the rocking chair, as I am right now, but if you go and ask them, um, you know, about their life, they will tell you all the things that they wish they had have done. Correct. Um, 
and and I think that's a that's an important part of of our you know we don't know we don't know when this all could end, um, but at the end of the day, take every opportunity that comes our way. Yeah, hundred percent. I and, completely uh, agree with that. And and make the most of every opportunity. It's always it's not always going to be fun. And like you said at the start, sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns, unicorns and fairy dust and stuff. Um, but it's it's through those challenges and through those struggles that we we can see that um, you know there's a light and there is there is really positive things that can come from the life too and and continue to strive for that. And I think the more, unfortunately, sometimes the, that more struggle makes those those moments of light and happiness even more better you know and and having gratitude for those is is extremely important i think yeah gratitude's the right attitude mm, yep can you uh or do you have anything that you would like to the listeners of this to to know more of or um you know any sort of closing words of wisdom yeah, just two short statements is, and I've been known for it very badly in the past when I was a younger person, but you don't know what someone's struggle is, so don't judge them. You don't know what they've been through, what they're currently going through, you know, why they're having a meltdown in the car park or or whatever it is. You don't, under, you don't understand what's going on in the world, so just have some compassion. Have some compassion. And the second one I wanted to mention has completely eluded me. So I'll leave it at that. Have some compassion. Maybe the two were in- included in that one. Maybe. <laughs> Don't judge and have some compassion. Yeah, 100%. Are you sorry? I, I remembered it. I remembered it. All right, go before I ask you that question again. <laughs> no, you've asked me the question now. You remembered it though. I did. I'll start asking the question again and then Go. you'll remember it. Go. Do you have self-compassion? No, I'm terrible at it. I'm really terrible at it. And I think a lot of us are because we expect so much of ourselves that we're not kind enough to ourselves. Mm. So that's maybe something that I have to continue to work on. Trying. Always try. Mm. Never give up. Just keep trying. Yep. If you fall over, stand back up and try again. That was the second point. Good. I'm glad you remembered that. Me too. Yep. Sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back. Or a step sideways. Sometimes, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Chris, appreciate you sitting down with me on this inaugural face-to-face, in-person um, podcast episode. No worries. And, I really uh, appreciate it. Yeah, and I appreciate your time and I appreciate your honesty um, and your bravery in sitting here doing this. And uh, I know that there's a bunch of guys that are going to listen to this and get a lot out of it. So, I hope so. And, um, yeah, if you want to contact me about anything that's been said or just hit me up on the socials. Yep. Are you on TikTok yet? No. Oh, you should get on TikTok. <laughs> I'll leave that one for you, Liam. Cool. All right. Cheers, Chris. Thanks, mate.